When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With Progressive's Name Your Price tool, you can find options that fit your budget. Because giving you options is the right thing to do. Oh yeah, like when I hold the door for someone. Sure, it may be weird if I don't time it right and they're a little too far away and oh, now they're running. And we're both asking ourselves, is it worth it to run instead of just, you know, letting them open their own door? But still, it's the right thing to do. So get options based on your needs with Progressive's Name Your Price tool. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. I try and write about things, you know, real-life experiences and, and things that concern me, really, without being too political, because I don't really believe in just, like, you know, using music as kind of a pedal stool to express my political views. I don't really have that many in any case, except for peace and love. And welcome to No Filler, the music podcast dedicated to sharing the often overlooked hidden gems that fill the space between the singles on our favorite records. My name is Gwen. I've got my brother Travis with me as always, and we are wrapping up our dad tunes with some Seal Henry, no. <laughs> also known as <laughs> also known as Seal. And we've got our older brother, Spencer, with us today. Spencer, how are you? I'm doing good. How's Texas, my friends? Texas is hot, as always. Well, it's going to cool down here in a couple of days, Spencer. I don't know if you're... Maybe tomorrow. We're supposed to get a cold front coming in. We'll see. What does cool down mean? It means the highs in the upper 70s instead of the low 90s. Well, I mean, if you wake up early enough, it'll be in the 40s. At least that's what I saw. That might That may have changed. Man... You know, it changes all the time. That, that usually never holds. Well, I'm still excited about, uh, the, you know, the possibility of being able to actually walk outside in the afternoon without feeling like I'm going to pass out. Right. You know what sucks? Right. I'm sure it's nice up there, Q, and no, in dude, Washington. I was about to say, I'm not, I can't go outside right now because California is pretty much on fire. And so is a lot of Oregon. And we're starting to get some, some wildfires up here, too. So the, I mean, it's not like your front yard's on fire. No, but it's really, like, it's smoky outside. Like, last night, it smelled like a campfire outside. Dude, some people will spend money to buy candles that smell like campfire. It, you know what? So. It smelled nice, but <laughs> I can't enjoy the uh, the lovely sun right now because it's just not healthy to go outside. So, I feel you guys. I feel, I remember back in the summer days in Texas, like, for 
a month that you just didn't go outside. Just, right. It's not a thing. That's, yeah, we're still in the middle of that. So It's more than a month. Uh, you, you've been gone too long if you think it's a yeah. month. It's, it's like three months. Uh, it's yeah. July, August, and half of September at most, least. Most of September, yeah. That's true. Yeah, it sucks. But yeah, we're talking about SEAL today, boys. Yeah, you know what I was going to say, guys? I don't know about you, but I remember some some childhood summers jamming to some SEAL. Yeah, um, I did not pull out that, that DVD with the home videos on it um, that has proof of my love for SEAL at a young age. Well, Spence, do you remember that video? I mean, vaguely, maybe, now that you're saying that. I, I would have never remembered that without you saying it. But So it has me jumping up and down. Yeah, you're in your room, right? Yeah. yeah, I'm in my room. I'm on the bottom bunk. Q is on the top bunk. And I'm like hopping up and down on the bed singing Kiss from a Rose. No, I wasn't singing. I was lip syncing Sing of a Rose because it was Kiss of a Rose because it was playing in the background. And, you know, I'm sure, like I said, Dad was probably filming it going like, what the fuck have I done here? So let's, what have uh, I done? let's put that into perspective with how old you would have been. Probably eight, I'm going to guess. Probably. I mean, it does appear around the time that the record came out, which was 1994, which was his second record, his second self-titled record. Yeah, I'm going to guess that that song didn't become popular until the Batman, was it Batman Forever movie came out, which I think was 95. Yeah, it came out in June, so yep. summer of 95, we were rocking that tune. You know what's funny? I remember we had, maybe dad made it for us, but somebody made a a, a sign that we printed out and, and put up on our wall that said SEAL, and it was written in like Microsoft Word art. And print it up. What? And put on our wall. How do you remember that? I remember that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm positive. Maybe you dreamed this. You, you've been. Do you have... What a weird ass dream that would have been. <laughs> do you frequently dream of seal? No. Or, or do you mostly dream in metaphors? Oh, see, there he is. Coming That's in one hot. of our clips for today. Coming in hot. What a segue. Well, Spencer, how old would you have been in '95? Uh, Twelve. Twelve. Okay. Yeah. 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 So one of the things, Spencer, I know you don't listen to our podcast, so um, you're not going to know. This. I listen to some. I don't okay. listen to, to a lot. No. So recently, as you know, maybe you didn't know, we've been covering dad tunes. So last week we talked about Gloria Estefan. And I feel like Gloria and Seal, to me, are two of the like standout amongst the crowd of hard rock and classic rock stuff. That I remember him playing, you know, aside from like classical music and like maybe some jazz stuff. Yeah. We heard Zeppelin. We heard Aerosmith. We heard Boston, if you want to call them hard rock. It's a bunch of classic rock. And then Seal and Gloria Estefan, to me, are the ones who are like, huh? That's different. And Sade. And Sade. Yeah, that's right. And Sade. But, um, you know, Seal, when you listen to Seal's music, there's a lot of jazz type things jazz type influences you know jeff beck the guitar player shows up on one of the songs like it, it's not that much of a stretch that he would listen to him but do you know what song he's on he's on um bring it on oh okay i think there's no definitive um personnel list oh well i should say there's a definitive personnel list but it doesn't list out what songs these musicians appeared on right but on this record the one that we're mainly talking about today there are dozens of musicians that contribute. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, I, I saw that list. Yeah. yeah, it's nuts. But anyway, yeah, one of the things that 
that we're, we've been talking about is like how hearing Gloria Estefan and or a seal type uh, group or musician, and then somebody like Steely Dan, maybe it's no surprise that we have such a wide uh, range of music that we listen to. Right. Right. But I mean, do you remember like other bands maybe that, that stood out to you among, among the hard rock besides these two? Well, we would also frequently hear classical music or like modern jazz music. If you remember, he frequently had, I can't remember what station it was at this point, but some modern jazz station on in the car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was... It was like smooth jazz. Yeah. It's probably 107.5. Something like that. Well, speaking of uh, genres, how what would you guys categorize Seal as? Don't look at Wikipedia. It's tough. Um, he's he's definitely well, yeah. unique. I'll say that he's R. It's R and B. Okay. Right, but but there's a lot of different, a lot of layers to it. Yeah. So yeah, let's let's talk about Seal here. Let's talk about Seal. It sounds like from what I've read, he had a pretty rough uh, childhood. So he was born in London to a Nigerian mother and a Brazilian father. Sounds like his dad was a real piece of shit. So he was immediately placed in um, foster care, but then he was returned to his family when he was four. So I don't know the story behind that. But um, anyway, apparently he has just had this talent for singing just like within him. Uh, like he, he sang uh, for some school concert. He, he sang a cover of I Can See Clearly Now at a school concert, aged 11. He was probably singing that to his parents, like, I know what pieces of shit you guys are. I can see clearly now. Because <laughs> then shortly afterwards, when he was 17, this was after his dad's death. No, before his dad's death. Um, he opted for homelessness rather than staying with his family. Holy moly. So he put himself through an architecture course, which I think is interesting, while living in squats and, uh, you know, not sleeping, basically, because he's living on the streets, right? But anyway, apparently it wasn't until he was 23 when a girlfriend of his heard him sing for the first time. And as he put it, marched me down to Tottenham Court Road and bought me a bass guitar, a drum machine, and a four track and said, that's what you should be doing. You're wasting your time. Get on with it. That so there you go. is an awesome girlfriend. Yes, that's right. Mad props to her. You need you need people like that in your life for sure. So anyway... um. So yeah, so like, you know, he had a rough, rough life, right? If you want to know about the scars on his face, which a lot of people, when they see him, they're like, whoa, what's the story there? Those were not scars given to him by his piece of shit father, as you might think. Maybe he beat him with a belt or something. No, uh, he was born with a condition that uh, that explains it, basically. It's a type of lupus called discoid lupus erythematosus and that's the story basically i think everybody when they see that they're like there's gotta be some really interesting story there to that like how did he get those scars but no it's just a condition he was born with so and he still uh, found a way to marry heidi klum so you know yes well, maybe that's because of his um as the guardian put it in this article i read his rich honeyed baritone mm. Maybe that's why he was able to get Heidi Klum. 
Or other reasons. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That honey voice. So uh, I feel like most people probably only know Seal because of Kiss from a Rose. Yes. That's probably true. Yeah. I know that that was probably how we got turned on to him. I'm sure that's how dad found him. We'll get to that in a second, Q. Okay. So he came out with his debut record in 92 of the same name, self-titled. Actually, 91. I'm sorry. And um, really, it was a song that he put out with a a well-known electronic producer, DJ, at the time, named Adam Ski. He turned uh, Seal's song Killer into sort of like this rave, uh, you know, club song, right? And that's kind of what put the him on club the club banger. Club banger. I don't know if that was the, the proper nomenclature back then, but today you'd call it a banger. Right. Um, what's another term that they use these days? Isn't there another one like uh, getting turned or something like that? <laughs> this is a song that oh, would get geez. you turned. You're talking to the wrong crowd, kid. Yeah. Yeah, I know. But anyway, um, so yeah, he put out his own version of that song on on the uh, on his debut record, but it was that that kind of put him on the map. So I wanted to play because I know that you guys mentioned that you're not very familiar with his first record. I'm also not very familiar. I mean, I'm familiar with Crazy. Um, which is the other single that's on that record. But I'm going to play, I know we don't play singles here, but the, I'm going to play the the opening track to his first record. Um, it was a single, but it wasn't one of his well-known singles. It's called The Beginning. And I personally, I thought this was a dope-ass track. Like, I like some of this techno stuff that he was doing on his first record that you really don't hear in his second record which is what we're mainly focusing on today but i just wanted to give everybody a flavor of the stuff he was doing before he cut the dreads off and you know looked like what he still looks like today so basically i was watching this interview he looked like a fucking badass back then man he and he had this rock star persona too which is you know he just looked like he, he looked like he could be a grunge rock star in this interview maybe i'll post it on the website but anyway uh, this is the kind of music he was putting out in the early 90s, right before he blew up with uh, Kiss From My Rose and all that other good stuff. So here we go. This song is called The Beginning. Oh, no. 
Uh, well, that was a banger, dude. Sounds like he doesn't need this Adamski guy. I know, right? Um, but no, uh, dude, I, I love that kind of stuff, man. It's very, uh, like, uh, very 90s for sure. I was going to yes, say, dude, it, definitely. It, it sounded like like the intro part. I, I kind of felt like I was building a city in SimCity 2000. You know what I mean? <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> uh, it kind of reminded me. Uh, I don't know. I can't remember the song, actually. But remember the Saturday Night Live bit with Will Ferrell and Chris McCann oh, yeah. that became Not at the Roxbury? Not at the Roxbury, yeah. That same that song, yeah. I know what song you're talking of. I don't remember what that song, how the song goes now, but that's what that. What is love, baby? Don't hurt me. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Um, but no. So this was like, like you said, it sounds like the '90s. Like this was part of the, uh, this this genre called new jack swing. Are you guys familiar with that? Nope. I've heard that term. I just don't really know how to categorize songs. So. New Jack Swing is sort of a, um, basically it's it, it's electronic, but with like hip hop, jazz, R&B uh, kind of flavoring, right? If you will. There are some strings in the, there too. There was. I don't know yeah, if that yeah. was synthesized or Do you not. have a well-known example of New Jack Swing? Yeah, I would like to, I would like to know. And that is that Jack, J-A-C-K? J-A-C-K, yeah. New Jack Swing. Well, I'm looking at the, the the Wikipedia page under notable songs, and I don't I don't recognize it. It doesn't mean I. But yeah, this guy named Teddy Riley is kind of the guy that that that, that made it well known. But he there's a song called "I Want Her," which reads number five on the U.S. charts and number one in the R&B charts in 1988. So um, so so kind of bring, bringing us into the like. 90s with some new Jack Swing. Yeah, but that's probably why Seal's first record had some of those elements to it. And then yeah. somebody either told him, hey, that's we're done with that. You know, we're going to move on to this. Ad- you know, adapt your sound to change because this sound is like... I don't know if somebody decided, let's, let's elevate Seal out of the club, you know, kind of thing. I don't know if, if that was part of like his producer or something like that. But he had a pretty uh, long and... Um, storied relationship with his producer at the time this guy's name was um trevor horn who kind of encouraged him to um to make uh kiss from a rose a thing i actually made some notes about trevor horn did you oh did you yeah. why don't you enlighten this on him then such a wonderful guest uh so y'all know x buggles front man what but also yeah he was the Buggles frontman, the Buggles who Oh, that's why his face looks familiar. Video killed the radio star is the Buggles. Yeah, he's on the cover. Also, uh, so right after Video Killed the Radio Star, which was actually 1979, if you can believe that, we thought that was an 80s mm-hmm, song. Mm-hmm. Uh, for one year, maybe two years, and one album after that, he actually was the singer for Yes. What? What? <laughs> there was a brief period of time where I guess the two frontmen for Yes, John Anderson and Rick Wakeman, left the group and he joined and was on one album, which was 1980s drama. Hmm. And then afterward, he looks like he's produced as a producer almost everything else that Yes has done since the 80s. All right. So this guy is the real deal. And he also said at one point, as a producer, that Owner of a Lonely Heart was technically his best work. 
That was him. Okay. It's hard. He didn't say he produced. But he it. produced it. Cool. Yeah, I can see that because that song is really not a, yeah not a fan of that well produced that style of of yes. But there's a lot of cool stuff happening in that song that you know you tip the hat to the producer, I guess. Yeah, that's a great song. It's got it a lot. It is, but there is a lot going on in that song for sure. Yeah, definitely. Oh, also, I'm reading here that producer Nigel Godrich credits Trevor Horn as an influence. So there you go. Damn. Uh, anyway, so yeah, so Trevor Horn was responsible for. Um, Seal's first record and his second one. I think he worked with him like sporadically throughout the rest of his career, but that's worth noting, especially with all the context of who Trevor Horn is. So anyway, um, the story is, and from what I could gather from some interviews that I watched with Seal, and this is probably due to his childhood, he did not have a lot of like self-confidence. So like he, apparently he wrote um, Kiss from a Rose a long time ago. And he just, he thought, like, in his words, he thought it was crap. Yeah, I saw that he wrote it in 87. Yeah. So he, he finished it. He says that he threw the tape in a corner and then never listened to it again. And he didn't even bother, like, like considering it for um, something to throw on his debut record, right? And then two years later, Horn insisted he record it and, and still, uh, he, he still remained skeptical about it. But basically, you know, they threw it on to the second record obviously but it wasn't until batman forever that it kind of took off so basically uh the story here is that the the song flopped initially as a single and it was rejected initially as as a, a song that would play during a love scene in batman forever but the director liked it and chose to play the song over the end credits so a seal says seven million albums later I owe my career to Joel Shoemaker. Hmm. So there you go. So if Joel Shoemaker didn't like... That would be Shoemaker, by the way. Well, you know, I'd like to think that he would make shoes on the side, you know? He recently <laughs> died. Just just to put this in perspective, he just died in June. I didn't Joel know Schumacher. that. How did I miss that? And you're story? going here and making a mockery of his name, Travis. Uh, well, Shoemaker, you know, Shoemaker. One more thing for Shoemaker, just because this is of our interest... He directed music videos, a handful, one being the Kiss from a Rose music video, but also a Smashing Pumpkins video. Mm-hmm. The which song, the, the End is the Beginning is the End, which I believe is on the Melancholy album. Cool. And then also um, a Bush video for Letting the Cable Sleep. Oh, mm-hmm. I remember I like that, that video. That was a really, it's, it's, it's really cool. Directed by Joel Schumacher. That's one of my favorite Bush songs. All right, so... One more thing before we transition into the second record. This is important to me. And I think this this kind of speaks to why he has so many different influences, uh, like sounds and genres and stuff that he kind of mixes into his music. So Seal said that a friend of his named Greg Roberts, who was the drummer for some band called Big Audio Dynamite, which I feel like I've heard of them before, gave Seal a tape. And I think this was before he put out his first record. Gave him a tape containing tracks by Sly and the Family Stone, Jimi Hendrix, Led Zeppelin, and Crosby, Stills, Nash. Wow. And he says, suddenly he understood what he lacked, as in like what his songs lacked. Wow. He said, it became so apparent to me why I couldn't get signed, so I stopped writing music for a year, he says. I went out and bought everything those artists did, everything I could lay my hands on, and they became my Bible. So that was in between these two albums? Now, 
I probably should have said that first. But um, that was, you know, when he was first starting out. Yeah. Okay. Writing writing songs and, and wasn't getting signed and, and whatnot. Um, so anyway. What are those artists again? Sly and the Family Stone, Jimi Hendrix, Led Zeppelin, Crosby, Stills, Nash. Man. So a pretty eclectic mix. Yeah. There, right? that's, that's quite the mixtape there. I was trying to, to think, like, can I link any of his music stylistically to any of those groups? Yeah, Maybe I think Sly you can. But I don't know about Maybe Sly, yeah. Well, I don't know about Zeppelin I, or Hendrix. But it's probably not like, you know, just the, like, maybe just the way a good song is like structured or something like that, you know? Yeah. Composition. Um, but, but yeah, so his first song that he wrote after that year of like studying these masters or whatever was crazy, which was his big, his first big single, right? So anyway, let's go into the meat of the episode here. So uh, the first song we played was the opening track to his debut record. Now let's play the opening track to Seal 2, which I've, I've always loved the song. This is one of my favorite Seal songs, yeah. This is not a single, surprisingly. As we like to say around here, this is a banger. So this song is called I don't think, Bring It On. Can I just say, I think this might be the first episode where we've said the word banger. So No, I know I've said <laughs> the word banger at least once. <laughs> But this is a true banger. So this is called Bring It On. And Bring It On. Yeah, bring it on, dude. Bring it on. Yeah, that's, I think that might be my favorite Seal song. Yeah. I really, the bass line is what stands out. I just love that bass so much, man. Yeah. And I wish I could figure out who, like, who to credit that to, because 
even in the liner notes of the CD, it's just and other musicians, and then just list out like fifty musicians. So it's hard to say who the actual bass player was. But um, something interesting here, Q. I know you're gonna like this. The actual writers for the song, obviously Seal, but there's five other writers on the song. Two of them, uh, Lisa Coleman and Wendy Melvoin, are mostly known as members of Prince's backing band, The Revolution. Oh, cool. From 1980 to 1986, or at least that was Lisa Coleman. Um, and Wendy, Wendy Melvoin was also part of that backing band. So that's cool. He, he had a lot of musicians uh, with this uh, that were credited for writing this track, yeah. aside from just him, which I thought was kind of cool. I think you're right about Jeff Beck being on that song. I was doing a little search while that was playing. I found a little article on rhino.com, which I think is Rhino Records. Five songs you may not have realized Jeff Beck played on. Yeah. Speaking of Jimi Hendrix, um, Jeff Beck and Seal first worked together on a cover of Manic Depression, which came out on a Jimi Hendrix tribute album called Stone Free. So they enjoyed working with each other. So... Seal brought him in to, to play on Bring It On, which Manic Depression is one of my favorite Jimi Hendrix songs. So if you're a fan of Jack Beck, you know, you can go back and listen to our episode that we did on Blow by Blow, oh, yeah. which is one of my favorite episodes, Q. We went blow by blow on that one. We went track by track, blow by blow. <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, he worked, like I said, Seal worked with a ton of musicians on this record, including apparently he did a duet. This is This tells you I've never gotten to track nine. He did a duet with Joni Mitchell. Track nine. Yeah, I didn't know that until today. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So here we are, <laughs> harping on people who only listen to the singles, and <laughs> I never made it to track nine. I don't but, think any of us claim to be major Seal fans. So no, no this is just but nostalgia the, for me. The, but the songs on here have always, I've always like stuck with me. Yeah, like bring right. it on. And the other ones, like his music, just like leaves an impression. At least it does on me. We got to give credit to Dad on that. You know, like I don't know if I would have enjoyed or even you know thought any any more of seal past kiss from a rose if it wasn't for or dude it's the credit that's the thing it's in the credits you may never yeah that's really. true because think about it, we were young when when uh, we were i mean obviously we saw batman in the theater probably because we were the perfect age for it and i can picture the credits rolling with this song playing yeah can you for real yeah really yeah, it does play during the credits for sure. Yeah. What uh, What are the other songs that you guys remember from this album from your youth? Dreaming and Metaphors. Yeah, Dreaming and Metaphors. Sure. And Pray for the Dying. I think it's just because it's track one, two, or three. I remember Don't Cry as well. Don't Cry is great too. And Fast Changes. I feel like that song played. Uh, Fast Changes, I don't, I, I've heard it. It's familiar a little bit, but I don't, I don't remember that being something I heard a lot of as a child. Well, you're going to hear it again soon because we're going to play it today. It's a great song. I listened to it a couple times today. I have to mention this right now, friends, because it's been bugging me. In the in Kiss from a Rose, does he not say I've been kissed by a rose in the song? Or does he say from a rose in the song as well? He actually talks about that in a interview that I watched. Okay, good. I'm not just crazy. He said, and this is part of his like, like I said, like he, he just doesn't have a lot of like, I don't know, pride or confidence or whatever in his, in his like he said, he, he thought Chris, Kiss from a Rose was crap. Yeah. He actually says the, the phrase Kiss from a Rose is actually grammatically incorrect, blah, blah, blah. And he starts like talking about it. It's like, dude, who cares? Like it's a song. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, 
But yeah, I think he says both. I think he says kiss by a rose and kiss from a rose in the song itself, I think. Okay. And you know what? All artists are extremely critical of themselves, you know? You're either really critical or you're super cocky. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. One or the other. I feel like a lot of artists are that way. Yeah. If you're a true artist, you're never satisfied with your work, you know? Well, considering that Zeppelin was part of his musical Bible, you'd think he really wouldn't care about song lyrics or meaning. Zeppelin songs make no sense. Well, it's either that or they're writing about Lord of the Rings. But a lot of them make no sense. It's almost like you're a plant, and I planted you in the audience to say that, because I've got a great (laughs) quote from him about song meaning. Wait, a Robert plant? No. Okay. Okay. Oh, I see what you did. Uh, But I'll save that for later. Let's get to another song, and then I'll talk about his his uh, his thoughts on on lyrics and song meaning because he actually has something that he says about it. But anyway, so let's play. Uh, we're gonna play track three. So you're just gonna leave Spencer's gold Robert Plant joke Robert Plant? just hanging no, there? I heard it. I heard it, <laughs> and I skipped over it. I mean, I hope your audience doesn't need explanation for that. No, they should. I would, I would hope they know who that is. Everybody knows who Robert. Plant if they're is, listening right? to this podcast, I yeah, I'm sure they do. Yeah. All right, so let's play Dreaming in Metaphors. Yeah, that's one of the songs that that I don't. The lyrics always stood out to me. Like I always remember the lyrics of that one. Dreaming in metaphors. That's a really cool, like, cool imagery. Imagery, yeah. That one I don't remember hearing as much. Really, I've always loved that song. Yeah, me too. But I mean, I've also hit play on this record, you know, a few times throughout my life. You know, same. So I don't know if this is one that 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 uh, the dad you know, skipped over to get the kiss from a rose, you know, or whatever. But, but anyway, yeah. And again, like bass player, I love the bass, like the bass. Yeah, me too. So I actually tried to f- track down who it is and talkbass.com. Somebody actually had a post on here, like who, Hey, who is the bass player for seal? And somebody says that he didn't have a go-to bassist, uh, but it was just a bunch of uh, session musicians 
And he listed a few, and two of them appeared on the credits list for this second record. So it's either Pino Palladino or Lawrence Cottle. I'm hoping it's Pino Palladino because apparently he shows up on some of Jeff Beck's work as well. I feel so. like I've actually heard that name, if you can believe that. Pino Palladino? I don't know where. Well, he's known for... So he played bass for The Who, uh, the John Mayer Trio, Nine Inch Nails, Gary Newman. Wow. I think, Power I think, Station. Q, you talked about Power Station last yeah, week. Yeah, I did. That's crazy. So I there think you go. John Mayer Trio is probably where I heard it from. So there you go. So this guy is legit but as the base uh, uh, the 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 base enthusiasts on um talkbase.com who would know their shit said that um he only recorded with the best of the best so yeah so he worked with studio musicians basically so that's why you got Jeff Beck in there and all those other guys so anyway all right i got a second clip cuz there's another cool thing that happens in this song um so here we go I always like those lyrics in the second verse. Yeah, and and with the the echo of his of his voice. Yeah, he's kind of cool going back and forth with himself. Man. But yeah, the lyrics. I'm going to read them here because I just like there's some imagery here. He says, "Someone lost their faith in seeking God, so they turned to the needle, back to the cradle. They were rocking it all too long. Tell me what's going on with your life." Anyway, I like the turn turn to the needle. Yeah. But yeah, so speaking of song meanings and whatnot, he actually has a quote. And I I think this is part of the CD liner notes. I'm looking at discogs.com and sometimes people upload pictures of the actual liner notes, right? And uh, he says here, <laughs> trying to find it. Don't tempt me to leave that in, Travis. I don't care. <laughs> oh, yeah. He says here. One of the most popular questions people seem to ask is, why don't you print your lyrics on the album? He says, well, the answer the answer to that is that quite often my songs mean one thing to me and another to the listener. And he goes on to say, I guess what I'm saying is that the song is always larger in the listener's mind because with it, they attach images which is relative to their own personal experience. So it is your perception of what I'm saying rather than what I actually say that is the key. What he's trying to say is you just couldn't understand, stand, stand. <laughs> Isn't that true of every song ever written? Well, that's yeah. just like, that would be like if, if an artist like put put a description of the painting in an art museum next to the painting. Like it's, but give I think it your own meaning. Is he's not, he's not going to tell you what he meant the song to me and like yeah. some artists probably do say oh well this song is about 
saving the whales or whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Wasn't wasn't the original question just about lyrics though? Not not about meaning. Why they? Well, yeah. He, he somebody asks him why he, he doesn't even print the lyrics. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. First, we're just like, I just want to so know like what he, you're saying, not what you yeah, mean. Yeah, but by he's it. going. I guess he's he's going one step further and being like, and you can't even you can't even hear the words. Now this was back. This was back when you couldn't just look it up on the internet. Yeah. So yeah, if you were somebody who bought a record about the steel cd off the shelf you literally don't know what the lyrics are unless you pay attention you yeah, know you just couldn't understand because you're not gonna just go find them on the internet and even on the internet today it's up to whoever's transcribing them you know yeah sometimes sometimes i read stuff online that i know are wrong because i've got the actual liner notes that do print the lyrics you know what i mean so anyway. i mean and if you look right here it says and you know i couldn't understand i just couldn't understand ah Baba, Baba, you know, like that's just wrong. Yeah, I don't hear any Babas in that song for sure. Yeah, how do they transcribe the kiss from a rose? The the bye bye <laughs> Um, let's find out. Bye <laughs> Kiss. Is from it B Y E? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't actually spell out the bye If you're curious, it's not a word. Somebody somewhere, know. I'm sure, has done it. There's got to be one of the lyric sites that has it written See, out. this is wrong right here. Baby, I compare you to a kiss from a rose on the gray. Gray? It's grave. I it was gray. Yeah, I always thought it, it was gray. We've always thought it was gray. Dude, I'm seeing the word gray over and over and over again on this. What? Maybe we're the ones who are dopes. I mean, Spencer, that's what you always thought too, right? That's what I thought too, but but grave makes no sense. It never did. Grave? No, you throw yeah, a rose you on leave the grave. A, you leave a rose on the grave. And you got kissed yeah. by it because the ghost, you know, the ghost gave you a kiss. That's what I always thought. Now listen to this. Oh my. <laughs> kiss from a Rose by Seal. Song facts. Here's some bio. Yeah, I got it here. Song from facts. Hold on here. Uh, <laughs> but it's ba, ba da ba da 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 ah, yeah, yeah. That's how it says oh it on my. This is stlyrics.com. Ba da da. This is an outrage. This is funny right here though. Here we go. This is a discussion on a forum about what the song means. And somebody says, wrong, wrong, wrong. It's a love song and a dirty one at that. Gray equals penis. Rose equals lips, as in a woman's red lips. Hence, he's comparing his lover, whom he apparently admires greatly, to a kiss from a rose on the gray. Oh, come on. I know, right? That's a stretch. I mean, who's got a gray penis? I was going to say, like... United. That's not even know. like clever. I would never. No, I would so, never use the yeah. word gray to describe this a penis. This person's probably fucking around, but I thought it was funny. Anyway, all right. So let's just move it along here. We got one more track to play, um, and this one I can maybe see some Crosby, Stills, and Nash influence, maybe. But that's the thing. At this point, he's working with so many studio musicians. This might not have even been him who did. Who wrote the the music? You know, right. he may have just supplied the lyrics and the melody. Yeah. But either way, this song is called "Fast Changes," and I think it it it's a change of pace from the last two tracks that we played. Definitely from the first track that we played. It's a real fast change that we we're doing here. So this is called "Fast Changes."
Maybe if I search my mind a little, I'd come across the reason why you're gone. Maybe if I searched a little while. And if I tried to reconcile a little, then maybe I would know for how long this time. Well, here we are in separate rooms. I can hear you sighing. No way out, or so it seems. Dry our tears, we're flying through another window. I think his voice is is amazing in that song. I really like his voice in that track. Yeah, his voice and is that's what stood out to me when I when I heard it. Yeah, his voice is great, man. Definitely unique. There's a person that's credited um kind of throughout the record as another writer. Like, you know, bring it on, there's like six writers in total, like including Seal. But this other one, Augustus Isidore, or Gus Isidore. Uh, also is credited for Dreaming of Metaphors and Fast Changes. Apparently it's a like a composer and it does a bunch of other stuff. So he probably is the one who's doing that. The 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 music is probably mostly him like that. Whatever you want to call that flute or whatever in the background. Yeah. That sounded like some like early Motown stuff to me or like some like some Stevie Wonder-ish kind of. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, 60s. Motown stuff, but uh, you know the the reason I guess the reason I brought up Crosby, Stills and Nash is because it had like an acoustic guitar. That's, That's really pretty much reason. it. Huh? Yeah, but <laughs> but it's more you know it's got more of a. I mean, it's the closest thing that you'll get to Crosby, I guess, on this record. But. Yeah, play on a little bit because I do think that it that it changes at some point. I don't know how far in, but all right. So we're gonna play the next next part of the song then here, and we're gonna see if it fast changes. So there's a definite change there with some strings or something. Yeah, that part at the end was very like George Harrison 
like late Beatles kind of stuff. Yeah, some Sgt. Pepper's. Yeah, or, yeah, some of their older. Marks. I can't put my finger on a on a specific track. Yeah, but I'm with you, Spence. It's yeah, very very Beatles. So so very George Martin. I'll throw that out there too. You know. Yeah. So that could very well be um, Augustus Isidore, as I said, who's. I you know I think with a lot of these tracks it's Seal credited for you know general like melody and lyrics and then he's got another writer on there that probably did most of the composition and stuff. I mean there are four of the eleven tracks on the record. There are only five that he is the only uh, writer. Um, so one of them being and "Don't Cry" is one of them. "Kiss from a Rose" is another one because obviously he wrote that back in the 80s like we said yeah um but anyway so yeah there you go that's our uh that's our coverage of seal uh and yeah dude i don't know when we're going to return back to to something like this probably who knows if ever you know yeah maybe never because he's just i mean he stands out for sure like he he is a unique artist it's not like you know i mean you know you don't hear somebody it sounds like seal very often at least i don't you know, no, I, I, I think he stands out yeah, among totally among the the even among like you know soul and R and B artists and stuff like that. So and maybe that's just because the the you know the people that he had on the record with him, including uh, Trevor Horn, right? How far back do we have to go to find any kind of mainstream success for Seal? Is this the end? Does he have anything post this album that draws any kind of mainstream success? Do you know? No. Not from what I could tell. I mean, like he he would have singles that that maybe became you know Charted. somewhere on the chart, but wasn't yeah wasn't like top ten or anything. I think um I you know I, the highest he went was Kiss from a Rose, obviously, and that was well that's not true. In the in in so his very first record probably should have mentioned this earlier. <laughs> he he got what's called what what some people in in the sports world. I like to call it a, uh, a hat trick. You don't know what that is. Eh, it's something. I know something what that hockey. is. It's in hockey when you score three goals in a game. So suck it. <laughs> you know what that means. So you read that today online? <laughs> no, dude, I knew that back. You know, you know, why I know that because of the the N sixty four game <laughs> yeah. that I played. Yeah, I was going to say the hockey game that I played on N sixty four. Ah, okay, all right. Yeah, so he won the first ever hat trick of the nineteen ninety two. Brit Awards. He won in three different categories: Best British Male, Best British Video, and Best British Album. So he reached number two on the UK singles chart for "Crazy," uh, and number seven on the Billboard Hot 100. Um, so yeah, he, he. I think I think that was the 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 highest he ever went because "Kiss from a Rose" was number four on the UK charts. So. Yeah, he peaked early, basically, and I feel he's probably right that if it wasn't for uh, Schumacher putting him, as I, did I say that right? Yeah, you got it. Putting that on the end of Batman, like who knows if he ever would have had like another blip, you know, or if he would have even continued. That has probably haunted his career and his self confidence. If you think about it, I lied, dude. Yes, you're probably right, but I lied. Killer actually reached number one. Killer did reach number one in the UK, so Killer was number one. Okay. And then uh, Crazy was number two. So, yeah, he peaked in, in with his first record and then just kind of, you know, but he's still well, very well known and has sold millions of records, right? But 
who knows how much of that is credited to to Schumacher. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's that's the end of our dad tunes. Q. I mean, that's it. I feel like we could do a lot more, but we're not going. Yeah. To, so we absolutely could. We're gonna segue into something different. We're not gonna say what, but we're gonna stay in the same decade for the as most part. Last week. Yeah. Eighties. Eighties. It's gonna that's be right. some eighties. Eighties. We're gonna do. We're gonna we're gonna stick in the eighties for a little bit because that's one of the decades that we've kind of ignored. Yeah, I would say totally. So, which is nuts because I think we all can say that we have a weird obsession with the eighties in terms of music. Yeah, there's something about the sound of the eighties, man. Yeah, and uh, there's a lot of lots of artists, including the one I'm bringing from our what you heard today. Oh, that tap right into it. Yeah. So anyway, um, so yeah. Let's do our what you heard. So um, we like to have our have our guest play their their pick for us first, you know, just because we're gentlemen. So um, all right, Spencer, you you know what the what the dealio is. What uh, so what song what song stood out to you over the last few weeks that you wanted to bring to the table for us? So this is something that had just literally stumbled across this past week, probably less than a week ago. Perfect. Um, I can't Fresh. say a whole lot about this artist. They seem to not be very well known. Their Spotify bio literally has nothing except for how to pronounce the name of the artist. <laughs> um, I've tried to do a little dive to try to figure out more about this person. I think this is a very young kid. Um, he goes by McGee which is spelled M-K period G-E-E all together. McG. Um, I don't even know necessarily how to describe it. I've been in kind of a chill, kind of low tempo, mm. laid back vibey type style of music lately. Okay, me too. Cool. I feel like I might bring bring one that's similar. All, all three of us. <laughs> I was kind of, I, I don't even remember what Spotify playlist or artist radio station I was on that brought this up. I think it was a playlist, but I stumbled upon this artist and then just went and dug into the album more. And this song stood out to me. It's very mellow. Cool. If I'm going to guess, I think this kid is like maybe 25 and I'm basing that solely on, I found one article from 2017 that mentioned him being a junior in at some music college at the time. Gotcha. Album is called A Museum of Contradiction. And yeah, go ahead. Song is called Dimeback. All right, here we go.
great. So yeah, I like it. Um, yeah, it reminds me of this guy that I was into like last year. His name is Alex, but it's all capital letters with a space in between each character. That's something that people do these days for whatever reason. Yeah. But yeah, you would probably like that guy. His name is Alex again, but it's a lot more like... What's his name? Even more... His name is Alex. Uh, <laughs> Wait, how is it, yeah. how, how it stylized? So the way that it's spelled is that it's capital letters. It's all one word? And it's all spaced one letter. All together, right? Nope. You got to... You know, here's where you got, you got space between each letter. So if I don't do that, I'm not going to find them on Spotify. I got to space it out. Nope. Put some dashes in there. No dashes. <laughs> what? All you got are spaces. No dashes. So here's what I like about this and bringing it back to like the DIY bedroom recording kind of stuff. I feel like you get these more intimate sounding songs because, and I'm just guessing that he recorded this in his, you know, quote unquote bedroom or whatever. I don't know. It just kind of, you get those more like raw, intimate kind of songs. Yeah. I don't know. You know, would it come across that way if he was sitting in a a super luxurious studio with some producer staring at him, you know? Probably not. Yeah, I love it. But yeah, I mean, definitely, definitely bedroom. Bedroom pop. Bedroom produced, you know? Um, But yeah. The whole album is good. It's it's similar to that. There's, you know, a a little bit different. But yeah, it's, it's just chill. It's easy listening background. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Spencer, have you, like Quentin and I, have you fell into the vaporwave trap yet? I I don't. I'm not up on all of the uh, genre. The names terms. It's really in, in it's this, it's hard to yeah. point to a specific sound with vaporwave. That's the thing about there it. There are. I feel like there's different like subsets yeah. of vaporwave, yeah. and one of them is kind of that. Probably um, so. The, the, yeah, I feel like as I get older, I want my music to be more and more chill, more mellow. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're gonna like you're gonna like what I got, and you you should have listened last week to my oh yeah my what you heard equip, uh, which is more like video game inspired type, like old school video game inspired, but it's very laid back like that. Anyway, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna do mine. I'm gonna do my uh, what you heard because I feel like it's kind of along the same vein, but more. Kind of like I was saying earlier, actually inspired from like early, not early, early, but like late 80s, 90s electronic music. Um, like, you know, there's specific, that's something I'm kind of diving into right now is like the history of electronic music. It's actually pretty fascinating. But um, this guy's name is Benedek, not Benedict, Benedek. And he was inspired by early house music is what you would say, but like, you know, R and B disco, and then specifically early house music. And he actually points to an artist in particular, somebody named damn funk, which I think I've heard of him before. Damn funk. He's actually more damn. Yeah. And it could be Dom, Dom funk, but he's actually a more, um, more current musician, I guess. Like his first record came out in 2009, but he's like a, uh, uh, how it's described as like a progressive funk artist. But anyway, so uh, it's mostly instrumental stuff, but yeah, it does sound like, uh, you know, it's from the nineties or the, or the late eighties, his music. But anyway, I'm just going to dive right into it. So um, this song is called on my way. 
and it is off his 2017 record, Benny's World. So here we go. down tempo it's classic jazzy down tempo stuff down tempo but also very much like um yeah it also but but i wouldn't call that down tempo i mean yes it has down tempo uh i guess elements to it but it's also very much in that like i'm gonna say the word here our favorite word hypnagogic hypnagogic pop yeah era because like he's he's using those instruments from from that era and it just like i said it sounds like that could be something from the from the late 80s you know yeah yeah very early 90s i would say sound to it yeah i can't place why that sounds familiar to me specifically that is exactly what hypnagogic pop is all about yeah it's supposed to be like it's tapping into like the sound and the aesthetic of something from from uh you know particular you know mostly the 80s and 90s. well yeah it feels nostalgic but you can't you can't exactly pinpoint ex- what it is that makes it sound nostalgic yeah. it's very strange like it just taps into the sounds like of spencer that. i'm sure you're a big fan of Tycho, right yes yeah that's so that's hypnagogic pop yeah or um and i always forget to name these guys but boards of canada were like sort of like the first ones to really do it yeah. so yeah it all goes back to them but anyway um yeah so i'm I love this kind of shit. I can listen to it all day long. It's really, really good background music. I know I like to say this a lot, but it's good coding music. Um, if you're somebody who sits at a computer all day and codes or whatnot, then, you know, this is the music for you. Anyway, we got one more What You Heard here. 
Yeah, we do. From uh, Quentin. So what you got for us? Uh, so this is a little bit darker, I'd say, like moody kind of music, but definitely... Uh, I like dark and moody. Yeah, I think you'll like this stuff. So this is a guy who goes by L.L. Burns. So you could say his name is Mr. Burns. I would say Mr. Burns for sure. Uh, he was in a band called Filthy Boy that released one album back in 2013, and they broke up after that. Now he's back doing solo stuff. He just released an LP or EP. I don't know. It's just two songs. Um, so it's an A and B side single. Uh, I'm going to play side A. Uh, this song is called Get Me Back in the Game. I'm going to say a couple of names here. Go for it. Mark Knopfler. Yep. And then uh, Lanigan, Mark Lanigan. Yeah, the two Marks. The guy that I brought up, obviously, with the... Uh, I brought him up on our Mark, on our Dire Straits episode. Yeah. But yeah, his that voice, right? Yeah. The very... The, it's got a cool voice. Deep. Yeah, I like the... Uh, yeah. And here's what I liked about it. Like, um, it was that voice on top of, like, a really cool sort of, like, chill... Very, like, noir, uh, you know? Electronic like kind of thing, yeah. Dark. Yeah. Yes, I know exactly what yeah. you mean. And I love that kind of yeah. shit. My first thought when I heard that voice was actually Nick Cave. Yeah. Totally. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And that's and they're Definitely. uh you know, I gotta I gotta give Filthy Boy a listen because apparently uh people uh compare them to Nick Cave, Tom Waits, uh Franz Ferdinand. So again, uh L. L. Burns, yeah, was a lead singer in, in Filthy Boy back in twenty thirteen. So that was a while ago, but yeah, he's 
trying to get back in the game, I guess. <laughs> so you're... yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> and yeah, and the, the lyrics too. He's like, man, I've been through the ringer. You know, I'm trying to trying to start over here. Like, so strip me down, wash me off, and get me back in the game. It's kind of cool. I'm excited to hear what else he's got. Yeah, there you go. I like it. All right, so that that'll do it um, for us here. You can find us on our website, nofillerpodcast.com, which is going to be getting a a uplift. Not an uplift. It's going to be getting Facelift? a... a uh, no, because uh, it's going to look the exact same. An update? It's getting, uh, it's getting restructured. It's getting rebuilt. More to come on that, but we might have some new features to the website that probably nobody goes to anyway <laughs> that... Uh, could could mean some cool things in the future. Wait, you guys, you guys have a website? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, but no, we we're gonna give you more reasons to go to the website. Let's just put it that way. Uh, so anyway, nofillerpodcast.com. You can find all of our show notes um, from every episode that we've ever done, including the one that Spencer was on way back in the day. It was our Foo Fighters episode? If you want to go back so to that one, episode four, maybe three Something or four. Like yeah, way like early on. Anyway, two years ago now seems like. Yeah, exactly. Mm, more than that. Yeah, and you can also find us on the Pantheon Podcast Network. We can find plenty of other great uh, music-centric podcasts like No Filler. It's PantheonPodcast.com or on Twitter at PantheonPods. So there you go. Um, yeah, I guess you can follow us on Twitter too. We usually don't say that, but sometimes we'll interact with you if you actually interact with us. So And coming soon to Instagram. And Spencer wants <laughs> us to be on Instagram. God knows why. But apparently it's a thing because I mean, yeah, it's a thing. our buddy uh, Tyler Darling of I Turn My Podcast On also has an Instagram account. He's all over it. So yeah, <sighs> fine. Maybe TikTok too. Who knows? No, that's not No. no okay. No. I'm trying no, to be hip no, 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 no. with the new, the newest Not craze. TikTok. Good. <laughs> MySpace? Maybe Instagram. Yeah, let's do MySpace yeah. for sure. MySpace is still a thing, which <laughs> blows my mind that people actually still have my MySpace pages. But and that's anyway. myspace.com slash no filler. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, find us on all those places. Um, you can listen to us wherever you listen to podcasts, including whatever platform you're using right now. Because <laughs> obviously you found us already, so... Anyway, that's that. So we're going to talk at you next week with some 80s tunage. Uh, we're not going to spill beans, as Quinn likes to say, because we don't even know what we're going to talk about yet. So, Spencer, thank you for joining us today, chatting it up. Yes. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Indeed. Thank you for reminiscing on Seal with us. And um, that'll do it for us. My name's Quentin. My name is Travis. Y'all take care. There's so much a man can tell me, so much he can say. You remain my power, my pleasure, my pain. To me, you're like a grown addiction that I can't deny. Now, won't you tell me, is that healthy, baby? But did you know that when it snows, my eyes become a large and the light? That you shine can't be seen
ladies, we know what we want from our birth control. But what about what's in our birth control? That's why I chose the 100% hormone-free Paragard intrauterine copper contraceptive. It's the only birth control that uses just one simple active ingredient to prevent pregnancy over 99% of the time with no hormones and no daily routines. Paragard is a small IUD that prevents pregnancy for up to 10 years using copper. Ready to get what you want? Talk to your healthcare provider to see if Paragard could be right for you. Don't use if you have a pelvic infection, including PID, get infections easily, certain cancers, Wilson's disease, or a copper allergy. Pregnancy is rare but can be life-threatening and cause infertility or loss of pregnancy. Paragard may attach to or go through the uterus. Tell your healthcare provider if you miss a period, have abdominal pain, or it comes out. At first, periods may become heavier and longer with spotting in between. It won't protect against HIV or STDs. For product information or to learn more, visit Paragard.com. Progressive presents Adjusting to the Suburbs. You used to associate crickets with silence. But since you bought a house in the suburbs, you know crickets hate silence. If any other creature realized rubbing its legs together made a piercing high-pitched noise, they might think, maybe I won't do that. Constantly. All night long. Luckily, you can save with Progressive by bundling your home and auto. Now that's something to make noise about. Just not constantly. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.